1975, there was a rock singer named Gary Wright. Maybe you remember Gary Wright. He was pretty popular back in the day. He composed a song that became number two, peaked at number two in Billboard's Top 100. Name of the song? Dream Weaver. Dream Weaver. 1975, peaked at number two in the nation. Some of the most famous lyrics of Dream Weaver include these words. I've just closed my eyes again, climbed aboard the Dream Weaver train. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon could have easily sung those lyrics of Gary Wright. I've just closed my eyes again, climbed aboard the Dreamweaver train. If you were with us a couple weekends ago, we looked at one of Nebuchadnezzar's famous dreams in chapter 2. Remember that? That was this huge statue with four different kinds of metal, gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay. That's chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar was off in dreamland. But we're in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel this weekend. And Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Another dream. He climbed aboard the dream weaver train. What he says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 5. Nebuchadnezzar speaking, this great Babylonian monarch. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the images and visions of my head alarmed me. You probably have had a dream or two like that, right? Where you were afraid or terrified or maybe you woke up in a cold sweat. So what did Nebuchadnezzar see in his dreams that caused him such great consternation? Well, here it is. Here's what he saw in his dream. Interesting dream, isn't it? It's about a tree. Remember that. It's about a tree. And this is no ordinary backyard tree. This is a tree that is massive. It's huge, right? I mean, it sits on top of the world. Quite a dream. I would say Nebuchadnezzar climbed aboard the dream weaver train. In our look at the book of Daniel... We are in the fifth installment of eight sermons in the great months of January and February here at St. Michael. Of course, we're calling this series Thriving No Matter What Hits You. We have this lighthouse, and then we have these billowing waves, right, (laughs) as a great metaphor or picture of what life looks like. It seems like something is always trying to hit us and destroy us and pulverize us. And this weekend's topic, thriving when God tests us with success. So that's it, thriving when God tests us with success. Now, as I say quite often, I can see all of your thought bubbles right now. (laughs) And in your thought bubble, you are saying something, this proves it. Lessing is a lunatic. He's lost all his marbles. He's not playing with a full deck of cards. Lessing, come on. Success isn't a test. Success is great. Success comes with no test, no temptation. That's not true at all. 
Well, think about it, though. We've all seen people, we've all seen ourselves, at times get too big for our britches. We've all had inflated heads. We've all been like that balloon, maybe kind of full of ourselves. Success changes people's personality, priorities, relationships. We've all seen it in ourselves, and we have certainly seen it among the rich and famous, right? We all know people who have been massively successful in sports or in business or finance or money. And and for a lot of these people, they couldn't handle success. So they crashed and burned. Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw, those are his dates, 1856-1950, famously said this. It's full of great wisdom. There are two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire. We get that, right? Lose our heart's desire. But then Shaw goes on to say, the other tragedy is to gain it. So our greatest test in life may not be when we hit a dead end. It may be when we hit easy street. Our greatest test may not be when we're walking through the valley. It may be when we're on top of the mountain. Our greatest test may not be when we don't have anything. It may be when we have everything. So how do you thrive when God tests you with success. Four points I want to make on that today, and they all revolve around this great 6th century B.C. Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. So how do you survive when life is actually going good? Because that might actually be your greatest test. So first, don't pawn Pontificate, you know what pontificate means. It means I've got all the answers and you don't even know the questions. Pontificate means I'm so good and you're so bad. Pontificate means I'm high and mighty and you are low and miserable. Pontificate. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering my palace. I mean, he was so successful. If there would have been a Fortune 500 list in the ancient Near East and 6th century B.C. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar would have been number one. Everyone was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the man. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the dude. You've got everything. You own everything. You know everything. You control everything. And so, of course, he's at ease, prospering in his palace. And we will see momentarily, he begins to pontificate. Put all the focus on himself. There's another word for this, right? It's the word called pride. Pride. Now, I'm not talking about a good kind of pride. There's a good kind of pride. Like, I take pride in my job, or I take pride in my family. I take pride in my country. That's good. 
But that's not the kind of pride the Bible talks about. The kind of pride the Bible talks about would be this acronym, pride. People recognize I did everything. Everything I have earned in life, I did it all by myself. We're talking about that kind of pride. Martin Luther famously said in Latin, <laughs> omni peccatum est suburbia, which means all sin, omni peccatum est suburbia, is pride. The root sin of every other sin is pride. People recognize I did everything. This is what the Bible, though, warns us about pride. It's our scripture memory verse for the week here at St. Michael, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride, this kind of pride, goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Of course, this being Super Bowl weekend, many of you know who this man is. This man coached in eight Super Bowls, right? He was two and six. I'd take two and six, right? Two and six. Don Shula, right? Don Shula, still alive. Don Shula, longtime coach for the Miami Dolphins, loves to tell this story about himself. Years ago, he and his wife were vacationing in the state of Maine. And they walked into a movie theater, and, and the few people who were there, they stood up and they started to clap. Shula nudged his wife and said, huh, people know me everywhere. So they sat down, had their popcorn. Uh, right before the movie started, a, a man came over and shook Don Shula's hand and said, I'm so glad you're here. Shula said, well, I'm happy to be here. I'm actually surprised that that you folks know me, even in the state of Maine. The the guy said, mister, I don't know you from the man on the moon. We're just glad you're here. The owner of the theater said he wasn't going to show the movie until 10 people showed up. (laughs) We can all have inflated understandings about ourselves. Pride, pride, again, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It's so easy to think that we are all that. I pontificate, and here, like Nebuchadnezzar, this is what it sounds like. The king, again, Nebuchadnezzar, answered and said, is not this great Babylon. Now, you need to understand, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, Babylon was a city that had over 2 million inhabitants. 2 million. It was easily the the largest city in the world in the day. Uh, Babylon was like Tokyo or London or New York City. I mean, this was the place to live. It is a great city. Now, look at the pride here, (laughs) which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. This painting, pretty accurate when we think about Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Uh, This, of course, is Nebuchadnezzar there in the foreground, right? 
He's standing on his great palace. This palace of Nebuchadnezzar's was 630,000 square feet. Now, some of you live in pretty big houses, like five or 6,000 square feet. Well, good for you. But this is 630,000 square feet. Huge palace. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking out over the processional boulevard which is over a 1,000 yards, 10 football fields long. You can see that. There on the left would be the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Nebuchadnezzar came up with, designed, and implemented an irrigation system from the Euphrates River. You kind of see that, the little sailboats there. To water, right, these hanging gardens. And, and then in the background, you, you see one of the, the walls of Babylon. Babylon actually had three defensive walls. Uh, one on the exterior was 17 miles around, and it was wide enough on the top of the wall for two chariots to pass each other. The internal walls, one was 21 feet high w- with watchtowers every 60 feet. See these watchtowers here? And the internal wall was 38 feet high. Babylon just took people's breath away. And you know Nebuchadnezzar's palace? This 630,000 square feet pad had 15 million bricks. And each of those 15 million bricks were inscribed with whose name? Nebuchadnezzar's. Wow. The world has rarely seen such power and wealth all focused and concentrated on one person. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. When God tests us with at least modest success, certainly not Nebuchadnezzar's kind of success, the idea is don't pontificate. Don't take credit for any of it. (laughs) To God alone be the glory. Well, also to avoid a huge crash, don't procrastinate. Don't pontificate. Don't procrastinate. Daniel 4.29 At the end of 12 months, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace, right? With 15 million bricks, all dedicated to him. 12 months. Now, why is that important? What happened 12 months earlier? Well, that's when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. That's when he... Climbed aboard the Dreamweaver's train. That's right. When he saw this huge tree that was almost as big as the world. That's what happened 12 months earlier. And 12 months earlier, God sent Daniel, the prophet, to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you're that tree. That tree, that's you. Do you see that, Nebuchadnezzar? And, And Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't humble yourself... God will cut you down. God will trim your branches. 
And, and 12 months earlier, Nebuchadnezzar was told that. And what did he do? Nothing. Not a darn thing. See, it's 12 months. It's 12 months later after he had the dream. And Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, repent, get humble, or else you will go way down. And was Nebuchadnezzar to nothing. He procrastinates. You know, procrastinate, that's a compound of two Latin words. Pro means forward, crass means tomorrow, right? Procrastination is my name It only causes sorrow. I know I ought to change my game. In fact, I will (laughs) tomorrow. It's easy to procrastinate, right? To dawdle and delay and defer, right? Oh, one of these days I'll get humble. One of these days I'll repent. One of these days becomes none of these days. So God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream in the night, right, of this big tree to wake him up. Nebuchadnezzar, you are headed for a great fall. You need to be humble. Well, God doesn't send us a dream like that. (laughs) But he does send us signs, signs to be humble. And, And what are those signs? One sign is I don't pray. Not really. Why pray when <laughs> you got it all? Another sign is we're not really hungry for God's Word. Why study the Bible? Why get involved in God's Word when, when you have all the answers anyway? Another sign would be words like Jesus and Holy Communion and Baptism and Gospel and Holy Spirit mean absolutely nothing to us whatsoever, and we get Cold, callous, hard hearts. We procrastinate. You see, when I'm successful, I think I'll always be successful. Uh, When things are going good, I think things will always be going good. When things are going my way, I think things will always go my way. So 12 months, 12 years, whatever. Well, at the end of 12 months, what happens to the mighty king. Daniel 4 tells us that that big tree in the dream, Daniel interprets the vision in the dream and says, without humility, that tree is going down. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, and God puts Nebuchadnezzar low. I mean, way low. Talk about popping the balloon. Maybe you know about it. It's one of the most bizarre sections in the whole Bible. But Nebuchadnezzar actually becomes a what? An animal. An animal. You say, come on. Well, there are documented cases, and there's a medical term for people who go insane and believe that they are animals. It's called lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy is a mental condition where I think I'm an animal. And that's what pride does to us. We become like animals. We lose our humanity. We start bossing people around. We think it's all about us. We become ravenous. You always, you never. 
and we are impossible to live with because we have become like animals. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. This is a massive fall from power. Don't pontificate, don't procrastinate. But finally, finally, after he lives as an animal, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses, doesn't he? And so he tells us, he teaches us that to get right and to get sane, gospel sanity, is, is don't pontificate, don't procrastinate, but contemplate, right? Look at this. He's a human being again, right? God restores Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I lifted my eyes not to great Babylon, right? Not to this massive city and the hanging gardens of Babylon. No, he lifts his eyes to heaven. He contemplates heaven. And this is how we thrive when God tests us with success. We get our eyes off ourselves and we lift our eyes to heaven. And who do we see in heaven? Oh, you know, Jesus who is in heaven at the Father's right hand. We see Jesus, (laughs) who is full of mercy and grace for people like us. We see Jesus who forgives us in his shed blood. And we see Jesus who gives us his Holy Spirit so we can live humble lives. Contemplate, lift your eyes to heaven. See that there is someone so much greater than you are and who I am, and his name is Jesus. Years ago, I used to have a beagle dog named Howard. Howard. Howard was a very good runner. I've talked about Howard in the past. Years ago, Howard got a hold of some of my running shoes pretty expensive running shoes, about $150 running shoes. And he got a hold of one of those shoes, and he chewed up the tongue of one of those shoes. I won't tell you what I told Howard, (laughs) but I'll tell you what I told the shoe repairman, because I was going to get this shoe repaired. I wasn't going to, you know, lose $150 because this beagle dog. So I took the shoe into the shoe repair shop, told the guy, my dog got a hold of it. I just kind of looked at the shoe. I said, what do you think? Guy said, give your dog the other shoe. (laughs) The guy said, it's a total loss. As I lift my eyes to heaven, like Nebuchadnezzar in humility, I contemplate Jesus there. I also need to recognize that I'm a total loss, completely, unequivocally. But Jesus loves and accepts and embraces people who say, I'm a total loss. So I contemplate, I lift my eyes up to the Savior who receives total loss, messed up, 
broken-hearted people. So I don't want to pontificate. I don't want to procrastinate, right? I do want to contemplate, and I do want to celebrate, celebrate. This is how the chapter ends. It's a great verse. Nebuchadnezzar again, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, not himself anymore. For all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. When I worship, I get my eyes off myself, right? I move from pride to praise. There's a bigger and better king, and his ways are right, and his works are always just. I celebrate. That's why worship is so important. Every week it takes me out of myself and puts me into the presence of the king of kings whose name is Jesus. So when God tests you with success, don't pontificate, don't procrastinate, contemplate, celebrate Jesus. And Jesus makes this promise. I've, I've used Proverbs 16, 18 a lot in this sermon. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But that's not what Jesus leaves us with. Jesus, the King of glory, leaves us with James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace. Grace. Grace to the humble. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that, and he praised the God of heaven. We recognize that, and we stand to praise that same God of heaven. 